You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. <laughs> it's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here. Uh, Marcus Parks is busy working for you, so he is not here today. Um, but I am honored to have with me. He's a. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say friend. I'm gonna say he's my friend. Uh, he is a former CIA covert operations officer. He is currently the president of Diligence LLC, a global intelligence and security firm. Mike Baker is with me. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. No, thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. It's been a while. I know it's been far too long. I know you're calling in all the way from Boise, Idaho, which is really exciting. So thank, <laughs> thank you, you for, for giving taking that shout out to Boise. The Chamber <laughs> of Commerce thanks you. Uh, Boise doesn't get enough love. It's a beautiful place. That's a beautiful place. And uh, may I remind you that Boise State University is now in the top 20. All right. Very good. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, you know, it's, it, and it's also Wall Street Journal had an article uh, about six or eight weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> they called Boise the uh, fastest growing city in America. Wow. There you go. You're, we are, we're all getting very old. When you start picking up small town facts like that, you can just picture yourself on the front porch swinging. You know, the Wall Street Journal a couple of years ago said we were the fastest growing city in America, just so you That's know. exactly right. And I am actually sitting That'll on the good. porch. I'm, I'm whittling. I was whittling when you called. Uh, so <laughs> I'm actually whittling a walking stick. Um, but anyway, that's oh, neither here nor there. So we got a bunch of stuff to get to. Uh, I want to talk more about the global uh, things that are happening globally. Obviously, as we talked about before we started recording, they're not getting a lot of attention because all of the um, uh, attention seems to be going directly towards the, the White House and all the White House drama. So we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in Iran and, and other places around the world. But let's start with the place we have to start with, which is the White House. And of course, we have this now uh, infamous New York Times op-ed. It's anonymous and uh, no one knows who wrote it. What are your thoughts? Omarosa believes that the person who wrote it was probably in the uh, vice president's office. I've also heard some speculation that it's someone from the national security wing of the White House. W what's going on here? Yeah, I, well, first of all, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't make bank on anything that Omarosa says, frankly. Uh, I think one of the interesting things with, the, with this anonymous op-ed is, is how both parties, right, the folks from both sides have kind of been kicking it in the ass because they're, they're, they're saying, look, just, you, know, you have to identify yourself. This is complete weakness here for you to come out right. and say, look at me, I'm fighting for the betterment of the world, and I'm doing what I can <laughs> internally, and I'm thinking, uh, just, yeah, piss off. I'm, I, you know, I have no time for that sort of behavior. Uh, either you right. can man up or, or woman up 
uh, and declare yourself uh, or, and, 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 you know, as <laughs> I could care less whether they lose their job or not. Uh, but if they feel this strongly about it, then they should identify themselves. You know? Well, now, what would happen if they did identify themselves? Some people think it might be like Dan Coates or someone like that. Do you think that anyone with the experience of someone like Dan Coates would actually risk their entire career just to get a thousand word op-ed in the New York Times? Or do you think this must be someone who is like, uh, you know, connected, uh, maybe in the vice president's office or something, but perhaps not that high up? Yeah, here's what I, here's what I think. And uh, anybody who, who imagines it to be uh, Mattis or Coates or anyone, I think is, it hasn't spent very much time uh, in Washington. And look, I, I will make a book on the fact that whoever wrote this uh, will turn out to be some mid-level career government uh, staffer who uh, right. is probably got a track record of voting Democratic and um, is at best, like I said, mid-level. I, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's uh, and that's, you know, what do I know? But that's based on 30 years of, you know, of, of working in uh, the intelligence and, and uh, information right. industry. I, it's just a gut but, feeling. And it could, I could, maybe I could be completely wrong, but it reads mm-hmm. like, and it has the feeling of somebody who's a career person, probably doesn't even work in, uh, legitimately in the White House, uh, is in the administration, but there are a ton of career staffers. People shouldn't forget that. People imagine when they hear, oh, it's someone in the administration, that it's you know, somebody you know, who, who is senior and who walks in and out of the White House. There mm-hmm. are uh, countless uh, government staffers who stay in their positions from one administration to the next, Sometimes they're happy, sometimes they're not because they don't perceive themselves getting enough hugs. <clears throat> but I think that's right. kind of what we're, that's probably what we're dealing with here. Well, and of course, they, they've been labeled the deep state by a lot of people uh, who like to have fun terminology to make life yeah, seem yeah. more interesting. Um, but they say it's run, one of like 29 people or something like that. But what do you think about, what does this mean just in general when we have someone within the White House? And you know me, I do not like Donald Trump. I think uh, perhaps it, perhaps he doesn't need to see all the documents when it comes to uh, certain countries and things like that uh, that might be doing nefarious things. He might take, he might take the, the country that's doing nefarious things side and start trying to bring those things uh, back home to roost. But what do you think it means for the White House in general to have somebody in there who is messing with the president's agenda from the inside. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is. And it's, you know, people should, you know, set aside their, you know, their partisan beliefs and, you know, and everybody's at this point, you know, nobody lives in the center. So you're either right or left, it seems like, and you're throwing hand mm. grenades at the other side. But they should step back and think, okay, well, if this was the Obama administration and someone came out and said this in an anonymous way, then I'm working to thwart uh, activities from within the Obama administration. Imagine how many heads would be exploding as they hunted this person down. And so, you know, that same same, um, irritation, that same frustration, that same um, disbelief and anger at this person should be the same that you feel now. If you've got somebody who's sitting inside a White House, no matter what the administration, and they say that they're working to thwart their policies and their efforts, that's a banana republic thing, right? I spent most of my... The childhood and adult life overseas in some very strange places. That's bordering on fourth world uh, behavior, and that's why that's why I'm, I'm uh, you know, my feeling is uh, just it won't be difficult to figure out who this person is, and I'm sure it will. Mm-hmm. You know, they will you know be outed at some point. 
Um, and they should be because it's it's wrong. And whether it's wrong now, right. or whether it would be wrong in the Obama administration, Clinton administration, any other, it's the same concept. It shouldn't be done. If you don't like it, get out and work. For, if you don't like it, get out and work, work from the outside. Change things the way this country was meant to change. We need politics. That's how it's done. Vote. Right. Uh, influence public Voting. policy. Yep. Do those things. Yeah. Well, absolutely, and we'll see what happens uh, in November. Who who knows? Uh, I'm, I'm not making any predictions because my past <laughs> predictions have all been wrong. So I, I stand on the sidelines when it comes to the prediction game. But as I sort of jokingly talked about how old Trump goes overseas and he takes uh, a lot of the uh, leaders' worst ideas. For example, he wants to have a military parade, uh, you know, with all of our military goods, which of course would be hugely, uh, first of all, national security, showing every single person all of our military equipment, probably not a great idea, far too expensive, and it does seem like something that happens in more uh, in, in authoritarian uh, regimes, such as, such as we have in North Korea. What do you think about North Korea? They had their little military parade. They didn't represent the nukes. The nukes were nowhere to be found. Previously, those were the, the, uh, the, the bell of the ball. Everyone talked about the nukes in North Korea, but they did not <laughs> appear in their last military parade. Do you think this is a positive sign towards denuclearization, or do you think this is simply a, um, a shallow gesture uh, to perhaps uh, throw Donald Trump uh, a little bit of love? Well, hey, it was, it was a gesture. Like I, the first, the first, uh, first uh, brief uh, job I had before going overseas with the, uh, with the agency was uh, on the North Korea desk, right? And, mm. um, and it, what I would say is what we've been doing for the past generations, several decades, going stretching back to, to uh, Kim Jong-un's granddad, uh, it, it hasn't worked, hasn't produced re- results, right. hasn't you know, done anything that is in our best interests. So, you know what? I, I'm of the camp that, look, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I thought, I thought we had the two worst candidates you could ever imagine. I thought, you know, how did yeah. that happen in the country Seems of over 300 million people? But my point being is I want the administration to work because it's good for national security and it's good for us. So whether it's the economy or whether it's a foreign policy issue, so I'm willing to give it a ride. I think, it, it, you know, we have to be pragmatic and realize that, you know, denuclearization can take a very long time and a long series mm-hmm. of meetings and very heavy lifts. But, yeah, it was a gesture to not throw the nukes out on the parade. You've been to these places. You know how horrible the regimes can be around the world. And we'll talk about Iran here in a minute. But when it comes to North Korea, Kim Jong-un, Donald Trump is on Twitter talking about how they're great friends. This is still a man who has... Uh, millions of people in gulags uh, torturing folks. Uh, their entire family lineage is being tortured. Uh, they're born into slavery, and he calls him a good friend. Why isn't there more of a backlash when it comes to that? Well, because again, I think in part, I think people do realize that uh, nothing else has worked, right? I mean, we could continue the same policy, but doing the same thing over and over again isn't going to have any result that we would like. If what we want to do is try to change that the 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 the, the behavior uh, of that regime, mm-hmm. then I would argue, you know what? Let's let's give it a run. Look, this guy is Trump is is not in any mood, right? He's he's disruptive. Uh, there's constant self-inflicted wounds. But I'm not the right. person that looks at it and goes, everything that happens out of this administration is the death of the republic because it's not. 
I mean, I would like to see, you know, something different. I would like to see a more eloquent, you know, sophisticated, you know, messaging and, and all the rest of it, of course, you know, like everyone. Right. But I'm not that person that's going to stand and scream at the sky, you know, if I think that there are certain aspects of this that works. It's the same with the previous administration. You can't, that's not how you should conduct yourself. You should be willing to, to look at each issue and, you know, set aside your, I don't know. I, I, I've never seen anything quite like this. Right. I mean, the, yeah, it, it is interesting. Yeah, it does. It does seem anything that Donald Trump does. Uh, obviously, it's going to be scrutinized by over half of the country and despised by over half of the country, right. uh, even if he's attempting like, you know, in, in fairness, uh, Jared Kushner does seem to be working across the aisle when it comes to prison reform. We'll see if anything actually happens with right. that. That's a good, that's um, a good, so that's there, a good you, point to, to, to mention. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah, so, so that is a good thing and it's difficult, you know, but that, that is good. And so if I, and I, I've said this since the beginning, I'm trying, you know, and I, I have very little power, I, virtually none. Um, but when Donald Trump does do things that I agree with, I am trying to uh, say, hey, good job. Uh, continue down that path, but then, of course, you know, he starts talking about his uh, his immigration policies and how he is liberating these communities from uh, from illegal aliens um, and things like that, which I always sort of uh, lose interest in because I think it's quite <laughs> vile the, the language that he uses. Um, well, but I, I, I agree. I mean, call out call out where there's problems, but where there's where there's you know movement where things appear to be working. Whether again, whether it's the economy or, or, or particular issues. Uh, yeah, I don't have any problems with saying, okay, let's let's see if that works. I hope it does work because theoretically that should be good for all of us. Um, but, well, you know, certain certain things, yeah, you got to question and say that that's wrong. It's the wrong approach. It shouldn't be done. needs to change. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you got to go on Sherman's march and, and just declare everything needs to be burned down. Right. Well, when, when it comes to the intelligence perspective of this administration, um, what are your personal thoughts as far as how he's doing? How the, what what is, what is the United States foreign policy right now at this point? We can talk about Iran here. We can talk about Syria. Obviously, we have the the sanctions against Russia, which are pretty significant. Um, but what is the you know everyone the, the Bush doctrine? Uh, Obama had his foreign policy, uh, you know, pretty well solidified. We knew what it was: the drone war, uh, slowly, you know, getting troops out of the Middle East for better or for worse. Better if you're ISIS, that's for certain. Um, but what is, in your mind, the policy coming from this administration when it comes to uh, foreign affairs? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's a very good question, right? I mean, you, you know, you'd, you'd like to think that every administration, uh, traditionally anyway, because it's, you know, it, it, I think in part the media likes to do it, in part, you know, it makes it easy to kind of put everything into one sentence. So, so what's the doctrine? What's the foreign policy right. doctrine? I, I, I don't know that I'm smart enough to, you know, to, uh, to encapsulate it, but I, I suppose on the top line it would be what they've talked about, which is America first, right? And I think that that mm. is... It sounds trite because that's what the administration throws out there constantly. But in foreign policy terms, it actually means something to people overseas. It means something to, you know, foreign leaders because that helps them understand, you know, where we're coming from and helps them understand that there is a a sea change here. Look, President Obama, you know, part of his doctrine was sort of a a defensive crouch, right, to go, you know, and, and he was looking to step back from, you know, the years of the Bush administration where we were interjecting ourselves, putting ourselves out there in a very heavy way. Right. Um, 
And so he was looking to withdraw to some degree. Now, you know, you could argue, hey, I mean, if that allows us to focus internally on our problems and our infrastructure and other issues, uh, that's not a bad thing. It does have a negative impact. Um, and you could see that overseas in certain arenas, right? I mean, particularly uh, problems with Syria, problems with, you know, the, uh, the, the development of ISIS. Mm. Uh, so there are some issues there. But I, I, would, I would say that the Trump doctrine does seem to be kind of what they're what they declared it would be, which is America first. So, you know, you could, you could look at that, whether it's the Chinese negotiations over the tariffs, uh, whether it's the way right. that we've been dealing with NATO and the EU, uh, there's, there's a feeling that, you know, we may assert ourselves when we believe it's in our national interest, but if we believe it's not in our net best national interest, we're not going to do it. Now that's, yeah. You know, maybe I'm making it sound too pragmatic. I don't know. And I don't want right. to make it sound as if I'm saying it's a very sophisticated policy and it's well spelled mm-hmm. out. But I think that's where it's headed. Well, judging by Donald Trump's Twitter, nothing is well spelled out. Uh, that is for sure. <laughs> that is an absolute fact. And that's interesting you bring up the tariffs. I was just on Cavuto yesterday uh, talking about those. And, of course, Donald Trump talking about how he wants he, – now he has a feud going with Apple – telling Apple they should come and build uh, all of their products over here. Of course, the irony is the OLED screens, the camera sensors, all of those are products created in China. Those are Chinese products. So no matter what, I mean, there's no way that Apple will be uh, building their, right. Uh, right. you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Samsung will still be over in China. Apple will end up losing, uh, you know, a significant amount of money. In China, of course, they pay their workers around 100 bucks a week compared to what you have to pay them here. So anyway, it's not going to happen. Uh, despite but what Donald I think Trump. That there's, I, I do think there's a tendency, it's still, even at this point, even this far into the first uh, term of this administration, for, for folks to try to take things that the president says too literally. And but it, but Mike, he's the president, though. Make, That's the I problem. I wouldn't take anything that he tweets or says literally. I wouldn't say, okay, this is what he means. I, because it's not, I mean, you know, right? I mean, being in New York, uh, anybody who's spent a few years or longer in New York over the past 20 years watching this guy as mm-hmm. a running a small family property development business in, in a very hard-nosed environment, you know, that's you're throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks sometimes. Right. I know. It's just difficult when you when we have to live under a president where we can't take him seriously, because if we do, it's horrifying. Um, but it's kind of sad that we can't take a president literally, uh, you know, of course, um, on the heels of Obama, who was who was, who was someone that, you know, the policies aside, there were some mistakes made. And I don't think he followed through with enough of his rhetoric. But when it comes to his uh, speeches, he certainly was uh, to be taken literally. And they were quite impactful. And, of course, now he's back out there uh, campaigning for the Democrats. We, we can get to that uh, in a second, though. Um, so when it right. comes well, to- I mean, I, would, I, I guess I would push back a little bit and say, look, I, and, and again, I think there were some really good, really good qualities of, of the previous president, President Obama. But I would also say that, um, you know, I don't know that. Yeah, you could say that, you know, you could take all his speeches literally. Yeah, he gave great speeches. I mean, there, that, you know, that, that helped march him into office. I mean, yeah. that guy, you know, there's no doubt about it, right? And that's part of the problem is, 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 is the shock between the eloquence of the previous president mm-hmm. and what we've got now. Yes. But um, there, were, <laughs> there were plenty of times when Obama would get out there and say things that sounded wonderful, and, but there was no follow-through. There was no substance behind it. Right. So, right. you know, great. We all feel good about ourselves, and we feel pretty darn self-righteous and intellectual. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, I'm not 
trying. What I'm trying to say is, I'm a policy person. I, if things work, if if uh, from an operational perspective, great. Sometimes right. the messaging, you know, can be completely screwed up. Yes. But I, you know, we tend to look at in in, in my whole job, you know, what's the end result of the operation? Right. It may get messy getting there. Right. But if the operation at the end of the day accomplishes an objective that's in our best interests, then that's a good thing. Well, let's talk about some policy then. So obviously, going back to Obama, we have the Iran deal. The Iran deal has been tore up uh, under Donald Trump. What's the policy with Iran right now? Uh, we've talked about this on the show before. Uh, obviously, the previous uprising was more of an urban uprising. People who were educated in the cities, the economy co- collapsed in Iran. Now you have a rural uprising, people who tended to support the regime a little bit more. So the regime is really getting it from both the educated and the uneducated working class. What's the U.S. policy in Iran and what the heck is happening over there? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's you're right to, to steer towards Iran because it's not it's, it's really not getting any attention at this point. And, and the level of dissatisfaction and the, the sort of the way the economy there is going sideways uh, is really remarkable, given. Um, I mean, when you look at the past, whatever, 20 years right. uh, and what's happened over there. So this is a real the, the potential for a sea change is is, is there. Um, so what's 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 the U.S. doing as far as you know? I mean, I'm sure that we have. Well, I mean, I think, I think what they're what they're doing essentially is saying, look, this is, you know, let's get the let's let's get our foot back on the gas as far as the sanctions go, which was part of this. Um, you know, look, the, the, the Iranian deal, the New Deal from the previous administration. The problem I I've got with it was uh, there were a couple aspects to it. One was everybody wanted to talk about how they were complying. Oh my God, why would we get rid of this? They were complying, and it's that's good. Well, you know what. <laughs> I've, I've said this in various ways. I've always tried to find a good way to explain this, but the Iranians agreed to a deal um, at the point where they got everything they wanted in it. And what right. they wanted was a deal that allowed for no inspection, nobody to step foot anywhere near a military site, a military facility in Iran. And so were they complying with the facilities that they allowed to be put into that deal? Yes. But guess how many times we visited or inspected Anyone inspected a military site in Iran? Zero times. No times whatsoever. So that's a problem because when people talk about how they were complying, or when John Kerry said the important thing with these deals is verification, yes, then you shouldn't do the deal because you don't have verification of the key most important sites in Iran. So that's a, that's a significant issue. Well, now wasn't there wasn't like the what is it the IAEA something like this the International Economic yeah. um, uh, Energy Agency? <clears throat> now weren't they uh, supposed to be the ones inspecting Iran and uh, and their nuclear facilities? And they and they were and they, and they themselves also said there's a problem here because we don't have we don't have any insight we have no transparency nothing in terms of the military facilities because that's the only reason that the Iranians agreed to do the deal. Part of the deal also, and the reason why uh, the Europeans continue to, to uh, moan about the fact that the deal has been torn up by the, uh, the U.S. administration, mm-hmm. is because, look, one of the, the major attraction for them, and, and I don't want to sound like a complete cynical you know, ass here, but was the business side of things, the commercial mm-hmm. aspects of this. Uh, the French, the Germans, the Italians... They couldn't wait to be allowed to rush in there, and they did. I mean, right. They were on top of it, you know, the next day. And so they're moaning about this and complaining about it is because the last thing they wanted to do was unwind all the commercial deals that they had enacted. And, and right. it was, they were sizable. So, mm-hmm. But I guess, I guess from the administration point of view, 
what I'm saying is whether it would be the Trump administration or any other administration, I would have been a big fan of setting the deal aside, uh, you know, laying back on sanctions. Um, and if those sanctions help to damage the current regime, uh, because the right. economy is, is heading south, and that's the, the biggest issue they've got right now, mm-hmm. then I don't think that's a bad thing. That's in our well, best interest. People would argue, oh, my God, but if the economy goes south, it's, it's hurting the people. I, I feel bad about that, but not that bad, because stone cold, we should be Mike, in our own best interest. You are stone cold. Isn't that unbelievable? Um, so when it yeah. comes to, but that is, but that is the question, though, because I am conflicted on that. Do we need what's wrong with Iran, who really, quite frankly, has um, taken up the fight when it comes to ISIS in Syria um, across that area? <laughs> well, Iran that's an interesting has, way to look at it, but well, that's an interesting have, way to look at it. But they've, okay. been, they've been killing yeah. ISIS. Iran is no fan. <laughs> yeah, they're killing ISIS for one reason and one reason only, because they want to ensure uh, their leverage in the region. They want to keep Assad in power uh, right. and they've got a, a, an arrangement with the Russians. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, hey, have they been tagging, you know, ISIS members? Sure. Is that a good thing? I don't, I'm not losing sleep over it, but is that in our best interest? I guess is what I'm saying for Iran to have increasing amounts of, of uh, influence and leverage in, in the Middle East. Uh, you probably not. I mean, do you think we're ever going to go? Because regime change, as we saw in Libya, as we saw in Iraq, it doesn't work. Um, because that's just not the way that human beings are. No one's like, uh, no one, uh, the U.S. just can't tell populations, this is your new leader. And they're like, oh, wonderful, thank you. Um, do you think that we'll see regime change in Iran within this administration's time span? Um, perhaps he gets reelected, who the heck knows? Or do you think it's more of just a long starvation process? Well, I don't know about long starvation, but I think that. Um you know, from the difference with Iran compared to uh, Libya or Iraq is Iran had a long, you know, stable history, right? right. I mean, they had, there were established institutions. There was federal, if you want to call it federal, federal control. Um, it's not the tribal you know, nature of uh, what we've got in Libya in particular, in Iraq or even Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So uh, they've got a track record, you could, you could argue, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Again, you know what? Hey, I, who knows? Could it could it happen? Well, yes, it could happen. We've seen stranger things over our years, I suppose. But um, you know, is it likely to happen? And eh, you know, I'm not making any any book on it right now because you know we we've, we've been looking for that same uh, you know those same indicators that maybe the regime or the uh, population will at some point finally say enough's enough. Right. Um, and. I, who knows? I, I, well, I don't of know, course, but I, I do know that the deal itself, the previous deal, was uh, was uh, benefiting Iran, and uh, and certainly from a commercial point of view, benefiting you know some European companies. Well, right. uh, much more than it was in our national security interest. And of course, that would be why a lot of people think that oh, that that Trump is uh, turning his back on our allies and uh, and sort of um, befriending. And natural enemies of the United States, such as Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin. So when it comes to uh, Syria, let's talk about that briefly. It hasn't been in the news at all. There's still a war going on there, uh, you know, there, folks, yeah. um, despite yeah. the fact that CNN or MSNBC or Fox, they don't cover it whatsoever. Um, what's happening as far as Assad? Obviously, he's working closely with Russia and with Iran. He seems like he's going to be able to weather this storm and stay in power. It looks like they have a little 
little bit more uh, control over the over the country at this point. Uh, Assad and his yeah, no, and I, his I think you're right. Assad's not going anywhere. Um, you know, the Russians look. The Russians were never going to allow for that to happen without knowing that whatever came in after Assad was also going to uh, be on their side and allow them access to the you know their only uh, port in the Black Sea uh, mm-hmm. for their fleet, the Mediterranean fleet. So. Uh, that was just not going to happen, and uh, nor did the Iranians view it in the Iranians' national interest. Look, everybody, every country out there, I, I know I keep sounding like a complete douche, but every country out there <laughs> acts in its own best interest. Every right, country. of course. The only one that tends to apologize for it or has a significant population that apologizes when the U.S. acts in its own best interests is the, is the U.S. And again, this comes from somebody who I have spent the vast majority of my life overseas. Right. And so I feel like I've got some experience uh, with how um, other nations operate and how they view us and how we view ourselves on the world stage. Wasn't that sort of one of the um, points of pride for America was that we act in the world's best interest? People, you're a globalist. You know, that term gets <laughs> thrown around, all this kind of stuff. But wasn't that yeah. what America was all about? Was, you know, um, I forget what Ronald Reagan, what did he say, a, a shining light on a hill, something like that. Um, wasn't that what America was supposed to be uh, when it came to un- uh, being concerned about what's happening overseas? Right, I think that's right, and we, sh- and we should. And we, we're very proud of our, of our democratic principles, and, you know, we should, it, it, there's no doubt about that. And, 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 you know, Woodrow Wilson, look at him. I mean, he established the United Nations after World War I. And, right. you know, that was part of it. Oh, we're going to have this community of, of nations. But you know what? The world doesn't work that way, as mm-hmm. Woodrow Wilson, you know, um, after he died, found out, um, with the onset of uh, World War II. Um, look, you know, as much as we'd like to think it, it's never going to be a case where we all hold hands and think about what's better for the other person rather than what's better for myself, whether we're talking about individually or as a nation or as a, as a, as a global community, if you can use the word community. So, I, again, it makes me sound like a complete, you know, uh, I don't even know what I can say on this show. But Well, you can um, say whatever I'm, you want. I'm hampered by my lack of language. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably, it probably so, makes you a very good covert operator. When you when you yeah. don't uh, you know keeps keeps you quiet <laughs> when you have to be. When I it co- but anyway, you know, so I think that, you know I think that from a, from from our perspective, um, yes, we should always and we do. I mean, my experience and again, it's oh, we can only speak from our own individual experience. And mine has been right. over the years, you know, thirty plus years in in this business uh, is. We do try, and I know I always get this sort of the eye roll from some folks when I say this, but as a nation, we do try to do the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we make a wrong turn, but I've also seen over a long period of time that we try to self-correct. We try to do the right thing at some point. We try to correct our mistakes, um, and it is good that we um, assert ourselves uh, on the on the global stage, because I tell you, when if we're not there, if we're not in a leadership position, what comes in behind us is uh, nowhere near as magnanimous as we are. I, well, and that, that's just my belief. Other people can snort and laugh at that. It's interesting. I mean, you know what? Obviously, I don't believe in regime change, but I do think the U.S. can do good things globally. And obviously, uh, when you create a power vacuum, other entities will fill it. We're seeing that with China right now, obviously with Russia, mm-hmm. what's going on in the Middle East. But let's talk about Russia right now a little bit. We got to talk about meddling. We have to talk about uh, I want to hear your thoughts as a CIA and ex-CIA operative. Um, this cyber war 
It's interesting because I watched the John McAfee documentary yesterday, and this man is a total <laughs> freaking lunatic. He is a ser- yeah. he's a killer. He's a, he's about everything bad under the sun. But he did talk about in 2016 when he had a sort of a presidential run with the Libertarian Party um, about how cyber warfare, and he was talking about this previously. Cyber warfare is going to be future war. What are your thoughts on that, and how is the U.S. doing to combat what seems to be an onslaught from the Chinese, North Koreans, the Russians? I mean, globally, it's a cyber warfare situation happening. How is the USA, uh, how, how are we doing when it comes to combating that? Yeah, no, it's, it, it's a whole series of really good questions that we could spend days on, but I don't think your listeners want, they're going to like, oh my God, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, today's podcast is sponsored by NordVPN. If there's one thing the past couple of years in politics has taught us, it's that not enough people are taking steps to make sure their information and identity are safe and secure when they go on the internet. If you care about your privacy and security online, and you should, I recommend going to nordvpn.com slash top hat for 66% off a two-year plan. NordVPN is a virtual private network that uses thousands of servers in more than 61 countries with military-grade encryption and absolutely no data logging to keep your data safe. When you connect to a website, your connection can be very vulnerable to all sorts of prying eyes. Think of visiting a website as a two-way street. You're getting information from the website, but you're also sending out all sorts of personal information while you do it. The two-way street can be very easy for all sorts of nefarious spying, hacking, and stealing of information. NordVPN creates an encrypted connection rooting through many international servers, making it impossible for hackers or just about anyone to get at your data. Ease your mind while you're online and never have a hacking scare again. Also, as a listener of this show, I'm sure you care about net neutrality. With the constant changing legal landscape regarding net neutrality, it's more important than ever to take your online security seriously. Their Chrome browser is lightweight and user-friendly and secures your browsing in seconds. As you know, I'm not the most tech-literate guy, and even I found it a breeze to use. They're compatible with most operating systems and works even in China, Saudi Arabia, and other countries that limit internet access with firewalls. NordVPN also has great user-friendly Android and iPhone apps to secure your information wherever you go. And the best part is that NordVPN is risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get smart and start protecting yourself today. NordVPN is offering you 66% off a two-year plan. That's about $3.99 per month. Just go to nordvpm.com slash top hat or click the link in the description to sign up and start protecting yourself. That's nordvpm.com slash top hat, T-O-P-H-A-T. Use code top hat and get started today. But I, I would say that, look, I mean... Yes, I think uh, McAfee's right in the sense that um, the next uh, major, if you want to call it global conflict, whatever, will in large part be played out uh, in cyberspace. Right. Uh, but we shouldn't uh, imagine somehow that the days of of, uh, of traditional warfare are gone. Look, Nobel Nobel thought when he created dynamite that it would you know ultimately end to the uh, the end of, of war. 
you know, mm-hmm. as, as, uh, as was known, right. But obviously that didn't, that no. didn't work out well. And so we're still going to be, you know, there's still going to be uh, space room for guns and bonds. That's, that's never going to change, but the cyber aspects of it and the ability to inflict physical damage, right. Massive physical damage through cyberspace uh, is, uh, is the most worrisome thing within the U.S. Mm-hmm. Intel uh, well, military I mean, community. I was watching some documentary, and I always I forget they all kind of blur together. But it, they went to the power <laughs> grids all all across America. I mean, these things, many of them are in shambles, like truly in shambles. How difficult would it be to just knock one of those out? Right. Well, it's not. And you know, the, the, the amazing thing, when, and, and it's a very good question, uh, is. Look, we've got three grids. There's only three grids in the, in the United States. There's the East Grid, the West Grid, and the Texas Grid. That's it. So there's three grids. And they are – people should think of them. They should imagine the power grids around the country put together like a patchwork quilt because that's kind of how they developed over decades and decades and decades and decades mm-hmm. of these things being put together. And they were never built. They were never uh, you know, uh, sewn together with the intention of withstanding either physical attack or certainly uh, a cyber attack. Hmm. And so the protections were never built in there from the beginning. And so everything gets retrofit. Well, it's an enormously costly experience right. uh, or, or effort. And so, you know, what we're doing is spending a lot of money to put lipstick on a pig, right? And try Ooh. to make it as robust uh, as possible in, in the face of potential attacks. But how easy would it be? Well, you know, it's not, it's not um, for an individual or a hacktivist or whatever you want to call it, um, if they're motivated and they're willing to, you know, spend all their time and, and really focus and they're able to, you know, avoid law enforcement and intel and all that, then, sure. you know, they could cause some damage. From a state-sponsored perspective, a state entity out there that decides to, to go through that, they've already done the mapping. Right. So our, our infrastructure has been prodded and probed and, and mapped out for years now. And the reason is for future contingencies. Right. So and, and, and one of the reasons why China is so intent on winning the 5G race mm-hmm. in telecoms is because that will be critically important in terms of controlling Internet and uh, in controlling, uh, if you want to think about it, sort of the the, the roadmap of of uh, future conflict basically right. so right. it's a it's a enormously difficult issue washington capitol hill has been very slow to the game over the years in terms of understanding the problem well that's what it seems like i mean even when we're having these conversations about russian hacking people are still focusing on the whatever twenty five thousand bucks they spent on facebook yeah. memes yeah. and you know the real tangible stuff which i don't think it swayed anyone's vote quite frankly it's solidified uh, their opinion and perhaps they got a chuckle with their other you know dumb uncles or whatever um but the the inner workings of these of these attacks that seems to be something that washington has zero clue on how to combat do you think that matt i mean mattis is an old school guy john kelly's an old school guy do you feel like they are equipped to handle this and i mean they must understand the threats well they in, in they, they i don't know that they actually you know fully understand from a from a technical standpoint they understand that there is a threat and that they need to be dealing with it uh there has been legislation that's been you know pushed around over the past you know 10 years in particular um but you're talking about when you think about washington dc you're talking about a regulatory process a legislative process that 
is in no way uh, equipped to keep up with the pace of, of technological advance, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're always behind the curve. And, right. you know, part of it is also understanding what it means, right? So the Pentagon is still trying to write out their, their, their plans for what constitutes an act of war in cyberspace and then right. what's a, an appropriate response. All that has to still be fleshed out, even though they're, so they're talking about it. People are aware of it. They, you know, they've, they've got Cyber Command put up, and, and, and so it's not as if they're not devoting time and effort to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I, just, I still say the same thing, which is that we, we have been slow to the game in understanding the seriousness of it. Right. It seems like you know we're a Titanic, and there's a lot of other nations uh, that are more like speedboats because uh, maybe they're not as uh, solidified as a country and uh, perhaps not as large. Of course, we are quite well, big as a nation. Well, they control, right? If you're, if you're right, China right. and you're... Your state enterprises uh, are beholden to the, the regime, right? You can move things faster. You can do things quicker um, than you can in a democracy. So they've got right. an advantage in that point. You know, I wouldn't want that advantage, frankly, but, you know, that's what they've got. Yes, and of course, when it comes to the trade war that Donald Trump wants with the Chinese, Xi Jinping's going to be there for life. So I think he can just wait it out, and I don't think he's that concerned uh, if his people suffer yeah. a little bit. When it comes to the cyber war, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. We know that Russia has all these farms. There's other nations that have their 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 cyber warfare farms where they they pay all these employees and they go in there and they they muck up the works. Uh, do you think it could ever lead to tangible? You sound, you sound like somebody's grandpa. They go, I am honestly. I mean, my friends are all make, wreck it. They completely wreck it. They they muck <laughs> it all up, and the, I, you know, um, I know it's it's pathetic. I've become very old over the past like eight months, and I don't know what's happening to me. I'm like, well, I don't. I forget what insurance company has the commercial should be like don't become your parents and it's like it's it's happening um it's happening when when it comes to cyber war is it possible that uh, it could lead to tangible war with with the bombs with with the uh you know military equipment is it possible that we end up going over there and doing selective strikes on these facilities that are that are uh, contributing to the cyber crimes from other nations oh absolutely yeah i mean when you war game this thing out and you imagine okay what are we going to do first well we'll cripple their you know, their, their power grid or, you know, what does that do? Well, you know, if, if, imagine people should think about it. Cause I think sometimes they think, ah, oh, it's a power outage. Yeah. What's the thing? Well, if you imagine the entire mm. East grid goes down and maybe there's a cascading effect and all of a sudden you lose the West or you lose Texas and mm. think about what that means in terms of now you can't, you, you, you don't have any power. So very soon you don't have right. the ability to move goods. You can't move fuel. You can't move food. You can't move uh, water uh, systems, uh, mm-hmm. healthcare systems going down. You can't go to the ATM and take out cash. You don't have any, any you know, compensation. There. It, it, things break down. We all like to think, you know, we've got better right. instincts and we'll all be a community. But again, mm-hmm. I go back to that other point, which is that that's not how the real world works. Right. So this is, a, and, and so you do that. You take out part of the system, then you got to backfill, right? And how do you backfill? Well, you backfill in the old traditional way of going in with airstrikes. And, you know, then, you know, depending on where this conflict is taking place, maybe you've got troop movement. So, sure, when you war game this thing out, um, you know, it doesn't end with a cyber strike uh, just to demonstrate that you can do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Once mm-hmm. that happens, there is going to be retaliation. And the confusion is uh, it's it's extensive. Right. How do you uh, right. how do you find attribution? How do you determine for sure that you you fully attributed who, who caused the attack? Uh, in, in which case, then, what's an appropriate response? And then how do you prevent escalation? And, I mean, this is, 
This, this is what keeps people up at night in, uh, in in the military and intel community. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe Boise might last a little bit longer. you got a, a little bit more space out there. I know living in Brooklyn, if the power goes out, I mean, I'm giving it 25 minutes to 30 minutes before the entire society breaks down. <laughs> and I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe start uh, maybe and put some nails into a baseball bat or something. I don't know. Well, look, I saw, I, I saw a fight broke out. I saw a fight break out in, the, uh, in one of those big box stores over the last generator that they had in stock during a uh, power outage on the East Coast where I was living. And the power had only been out for a couple of days. It was wintertime, and I think, mm. that, you know, the concern was it was going to go on for a while. Right. Uh, but, you know, you watch that and you think, okay, look, I, <laughs> I, I, I would like to think better. And, and maybe over a long period of time we all kind of, you know, you know, pull our heads out and we realize, okay, this is going to go on for a while, now we've got to pull together. But right. uh, typically the, the outset is chaos. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll have a de- a definite Lord of the Flies situation for at least a yeah, little you don't while. Be pi- you don't you don't want to be piggy. No, definitely not. No, and that was my nickname in high school, so I I really don't want <laughs> that to happen, but it's possible. When it comes to spies, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. We just saw there was that uh, that woman, that that Russian gal. Uh, she was, uh, you know, proved to be a Russian spy. She was working mm-hmm. with a guns a guns activist group, a pro guns activist group, which also tied itself to the NRA. I know you are a member of the NRA. I think you do commercials for them. Um, what are your thoughts on first of all, how many of these Russian spies, or how many how many foreign spies do you think are actually in America? Given the, given your uh, understanding, uh, there's, yeah, there's there's uh, eighteen thousand four hundred and twenty. Um, Perfect, but I probably shouldn't have let that number out. That's probably <laughs> a sources and methods thing. I know I, I have I have no idea, but I will say it's more than you would imagine. Right? Look, okay. Uh, if we just talk about Russia, um, Russia never, Putin never thought that the Cold War ended. Right? Never never assumed that the Cold War ended. Never assumed that there was going to be a a peace dividend. Uh, mm. You know, after the the wall fell, that that was ridiculous. It was, it, and and I know you know guys that came out of the GRU, the old military intelligence over there, and uh, and FSB. They, they, it wasn't as if they thought, oh, okay, now it's peacetime. And that's what we thought here. We thought, oh, great, oh, we're gonna yeah again because we're American and we we think the better of of things until we're proven wrong and. And so we imagined we could get rid of the CIA. There was serious talk about that. Most right. serious people. We could just shut the CIA down. Much like in 19... Look, at, at the end of the war, 1945, after FDR died, um, there's this fantastic letter. Harry Truman sent it to, to Bill Donovan, who had established and set up the OSS, the, the precursor to the CIA. Mm. And OSS had done an amazing job working behind the lines with the resistance um, in this incredible effort, right? So... so They've done all these wonderful things. A lot of a lot of OSS officers had died during the war, mm. and in 1945, Truman sends him a letter. Says, "Listen, I, w- I really want to thank you very much for everything you've done. It's been great. Um, you know, don't let the door hit your butt on the way out." Mm. It was literally that. It was a, it was a four paragraph letter, and it was just you know, thanks. Uh, see you later. And the idea was, you know, we don't need it anymore because now we're going to be better than that, and we're going to be mm-hmm. a community. And the same thing after the wall fell. And so I guess my point being is, Putin never imagined that ever. Right, and so they never. It's not like they withdrew their their spies or their sleeper cells or their assets from the U.S. Um, yeah, and it's and it's a, and it's a real problem. China's right. the same way, and and any other nation with the ability and the resources, same thing. Well, now how do so when it comes to I mean Vladimir Putin is 
on the he is uh, on top of the world right now. He got every single thing that he wanted. Uh, CNN just ran a series, uh, Vladimir Putin, most powerful man in the world, which is I, I think very counterproductive and exactly again what he wants. And it's counterproductive, but it's also complete horse crap. It's not he's. And, and I think CNN knows it, but I think it's in their best interest to try to beef this guy up and build mm-hmm. him up. But Putin runs a country that's got the GDP of a, of a small European nation. Right, right. Um, they live and die by the price of oil. Mm-hmm. And they've overspent and, and, and put money into uh, the, the, uh, the upgrade of their military uh, in an effort to, uh, you know, bang the national drum because that's what they typically always do when they're having problems. He finds a bogeyman. And so uh, this idea that Putin is, is this massive strong man out there who is the most important person in the world is, is laughable to, to anybody that's, that's been engaged in this sort of business for any period of time. Well, I guess the reason that people allow that narrative to really sort of settle in is because of what's happening with uh, you know his interactions. Going back to the NRA, they were given a lot of money from the Russians, and then a lot of that money went to Republicans. So there were folks that speculated uh, that perhaps the Russians, through this filter of the NRA, are kind of paying off Republicans. Do you give any credence to that? <laughs> no, no. But then again, I, I don't. I'm looking around my office for my tinfoil hat, and I don't. I can't. I don't see it. I'll I'll, I'll put it on and maybe I will give it some credence at some point. Put like your I, hat, put the tinfoil hat I on, would, Mike. I wouldn't, I, yeah, I wouldn't trust the Russians as far as I could throw them out my 12-story office window here, right? Ooh. But uh, at the same time, you, you, you've got to be, you know, pragmatic. And, and look, I worked, I, I worked the Russian target uh, years and years and years ago, and they never changed. They're always influencing and a- attempting to meddle. They were right. doing it right after, you know, it, it, go back to 1940. Right. We were we were this country, the U.S. was internationalist, uh, you know, or anti uh, interventionist. Right. The last thing we wanted to do as a country was get back into another European war. Right. And there was this very strong movement to stay out of World War Two. You had FDR and a handful of others who thought it was you know, actually very important. Uh, but they were pushing a big rock up a hill. So what did the Russians do? The Russians came over here. And when they were still allied with the Germans before Hitler had invaded Russia, uh, thinking that was a clever idea. Yeah. Brilliant. The Russians came over here and spent a great deal of time and effort uh, to try to uh, convince us that, yes, we should stay out of the war because they understood what it meant if we got in. Well, that is an interesting point. They paid off journalists. They paid off union leaders. Mm-hmm. They set up supposedly independent organizations. They do all the same things. It never changes. Right. That, and yet we yeah. wanted to act as if somehow this is, oh, my God, look what they're doing now. And, and they use technology you know, to their advantage in mm-hmm. 2016. But the concepts and the objectives are all the same. It is unbelievable when you hear those stories about them setting up pro-Trump and anti-Trump rallies, both set up by the Russians to occur at the same place. It's just brilliant on their part, and also really sad when you realize how easy it is to manipulate and deceive people. When it comes to Trump and Putin, we haven't talked we haven't talked in so long. So let's go. I mean, we have John Brennan Former, uh, formerly of the CIA, of course, the head of the CIA, calling Donald Trump treasonous. He's kind of backwalked a little bit on that uh, after he got a yeah. lot of blowback because treason is punishable by death and maybe not something you just want to throw out there. But the reason uh, that he said that was because of the way that Trump acted in Helsinki with Vladimir Putin. What do you think was talked about for those uh, couple of hours that they were alone? And do you think what was your what were your thoughts watching Trump, in my layman's opinion, get played by Vladimir Putin? Uh, what were your thoughts with your CIA expertise? Yeah, I, I think I think Trump imagined himself a little bit too clever. 
in that in that scenario. It was, I thought it was enormously disappointing. He had a very he had a terrific opportunity right there. Look, I mean, and and this this again, I look, I, I don't put any stock in the whole collusion crap. I, I again, I I think the Russians are always at it. I think they're always trying to do you know crap. And 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 I you know I I, I think uh, Putin's a, a thug and an awful person, mm-hmm. but uh, at the same time, yeah, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm buying into this this notion of of collusion because I I just I'm not buying it. But but at the same time, he just doesn't think, do himself any favors, though, right? He I doesn't mean, do himself any favors. He could have stood there. There was one question that was asked during that briefing or during that uh, conference, and it was, "Do you believe?" Um, you know, in terms of the intel community, what they've said that they meddled. Do you believe the intel community? And all he had to do, think about this, all the president yeah. had to do was stand there. He's, he's looming over Putin, who stands at about four foot eight. He's looming over Putin. And right. all he had to do was say, I, we have complete trust and confidence in the U.S. intel community. We know that the Russians meddled, as they have been doing for generations. And he could have, like, loomed and stared down at Putin. And he said, and, and we could have, and, and we will enact further sanctions if they continue to do this. And we right. will continue to enact sanctions in the seriousness that it deserves. Uh, and he could have left it at that. And yep. that, what, what would that do? It was a it was a political and an operational win. But he's he can't help himself. He's he's not, you know. I mean, he's not. I, it's it's just the way he is. Donald Trump strikes out playing softball every time. Charlottesville, another one. <laughs> I mean, that's what Obama uh, when yeah. Obama Obama's out there campaigning now. He's just how difficult is it to denounce Nazis? And this is a really relevant point. How hard is it to stand up to Vladimir Putin and side with the U.S. intelligence agencies? I mean, it was yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I, know. I know, but but and, and and again, I would I would I would argue that look, he could have he could have shut up his critics right then and there. Right. right. So. This is this is the thing with Trump. He 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 never does anything that anybody expects. People have never seen anything like this in the White House. Um, but people saw that and immediately said, "Well, that's proof of collusion." Well, no, it's not. It's proof of of this flawed individual who walked into a meeting imagining himself smarter than than uh, Putin. And Putin, you know, he, he's he's a smart cat. He's a, he's a survival guy. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, I just think, look, this. This guy completely misplayed this. It was hugely disappointing. Yeah. Uh, did I think it was treasonous? No, I just think it was asinine and stupid and and uh, and, and amateurish and potentially dangerous, right? And shouldn't have been done. And he had a and he, and he had a brilliant opportunity right then and there to uh, put a card down on the table, and, and he didn't right. do it. Well, I, I thank you so much for taking the time. Final question to Mr. Mike Baker. First of all, well, it's it's two. Number one, really quick, yes or no? Do you think Obama's going to help the Democrats uh, in the November midterms when he campaigns for them? As he campaigns for them, um, I don't think he's going to necessarily hurt them. I don't think they're going to get a big bump out of it. Um, but you know, it, it, again, it's sort of that concept you mentioned earlier. You know, people get uh, convinced of their own beliefs. So. You know he'll he'll you know he'll uh, he'll impress the the folks that are already going to vote uh, the way they're going to vote. But right. I, I don't think he's going to damage you know the Dems. I think it'll it, I just don't think it'll be a big bump. All right. And lastly, when it comes to Mueller, I know this is a big story of obviously, but people have heard about this ad nauseum. What do you think about the Mueller investigation? Do you think it wraps up relatively soon within this uh, next couple of months? Do you think Trump testifies? What are your you know, we have we have Manafort. We got Gates. We got Papadopoulos. We got all of these. We got Cohen. A lot of guilty pleas out there um, and uh, and uh, guilty verdicts. What are your thoughts just briefly on that? Yeah, uh, you know, I look. I think Mueller's a smart and and you know a good person. Uh, I think the investigation suffers from what all special investigations suffer from in Washington D.C. It's a place where 
investigations go to die, right? Uh, but he's gonna, I think he's going to wrap it up relatively soon. Relatively soon is probably before the, uh, I don't think it's going to be before the end of the, or sorry, before the midterms, but I think before the end of the year. And, I, and nobody's going to be happy. I, I think the end result will be uh, it won't make uh, the resistance or the Democrats happy because there won't be sort of that smoking gun that they've been beating the drum for for mm-hmm. going on what, however many years. Uh, and it won't make, uh, you know, it won't make the uh, Republicans or the Trump supporters happy because there won't be any sort of uh, drawn a line under it. And there's absolutely nothing here. It's just going to be one of those mushy statements uh, that you always get out of Washington from these these things that, you know, doesn't really satisfy either side. So I think it's going to oh. be a wholly unsatisfying experience for everybody. Great. Well, something to look forward to then. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, man. I really exactly. appreciate I really appreciate you being here. Let's see. Do you want to plug anything? Uh, you got speaking engagements or your website or w- tell the people how to find you. Uh, well, you know, uh, it, well, there's always diligence, you know, for all your information and security needs. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, then, uh, that's about it. I, 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 I'm kind of on Twitter at, uh, at, uh, MB company, man. Uh, but, uh, I try to keep that sort of down the middle of the road and right. I'm, I'm very much a centrist. And what I found out is that all that means is you piss off everybody. Yep. That's why Twitter is basically useless. Um, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Have a great speech tonight. Thanks so much, Ben. I appreciate it too. Take care. All right, there it was, an interview with Mike Baker. Interesting guy. I always love talking to him. Um, so I hope you liked the episode. And, yeah, I mean, you know, we disagree on some things and agree on other things. But I do think it's interesting to focus a little bit more on Iran. Not No one is talking about it. The war continues on in Syria. No one seems to discuss it in mainstream media. So uh, it's nice to have a little conversation about what's going on overseas. If you get a chance, go to my website, BenKissel.com, or my YouTube channel. It's just a Ben Kissel. And you can watch my most recent uh, television hits. I did Fox and Friends first and Cavuto that was on Monday and we talked a lot about uh, Donald Trump his war with Apple and uh, his tweet storms regarding the investigation and uh, a series of other things he's been going a little Twitter crazy which I know is a surprise to absolutely no one and then on Fox and Friends first we talked about uh, Obama will he help or hurt the Dems I believe that he will end up helping specifically some Dems that are you know like um, like uh, Casey out of Pennsylvania he's definitely going to help um, you know there are other there are other Dems that are much more aligned with him uh, politically but then you have someone like John Tester um, out of Montana or Heidi Heidenkamp out of North Dakota places where Donald Trump did very well Obama's probably not going to go out and campaign for them um, and that's probably in their best interest but then of course you look at Gillum in Florida going against DeSantis for governor and I think that Obama will do great things uh, for him in Florida despite the fact that he was a little bit uh, it was controversial his opening up the engagement with Cuba of course a lot of the Cubans over there were not thrilled with his policy towards Cuba but now in the, in the wake of every everything happening with Donald Trump and his immigration policies, I think the tide might be turning uh, and I'm sure that they will be more available, emotionally available for Barack Obama. So it's interesting to see him out now on the campaign trail. Haven't seen him for a very long time. A lot of people said 
too long, uh, but I think it was good for him to take a little time off, quite frankly. Uh, you don't know what you got till it's gone, as they say. And at the very least, it's nice to hear somebody who uh, speaks in a professional way and a compassionate way and in a way that unites. Now, did he unite? Uh, well, that's up for debate. His presidency was, it had a lot of flaws to it, uh, and there was certainly a lot of turmoil. Look at Ferguson and a series of other riots that were happening all across the country when it came to protesting police brutality, there was a lot of turmoil under Obama as well. And did he handle those situations as well as he could have? These situations are very difficult to handle and we can all all be Monday morning quarterbacks on it. But I do believe uh, at the very least he put thought into things. And I know there's a lot of folks out there who feel like a thoughtfulness is currently missing from the White House. So check out those clips on benkissel.com. You just go under television news and you can see all of my clips, or not all of them, but about 30 of them or 37 of them uh, right there or on YouTube. Put a little comments. And on this Fox and Friends first one, it was funny because we were talking about Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey was on Bill Maher's show, which uh, I don't even know why I sit through these things, but I do it. And uh, he was talking about because he was on the show because he's got a new show on HBO coming out. He was trying to press and Jim Carrey, of course, trying to be a populist man of the people on Bill Maher. You got to watch the interview if you haven't seen it. And then look at his Twitter. He's like, we have to unite Republicans and Democrats. And I'm like, look at your Twitter, dude. Your entire thing is against Republicans. Um, so he's not trying to unite. And should he be or should he not be? Is that is that his job? No, it's not. He's a he's a comedian. Um, but I uh, was mentioning he mentioned how so. Socialism, how the Democrats need to embrace the term socialism. So, of course, Fox News hears this and says, Fox, uh, Democrats love socialism. And so I was explaining how Medicare is socialism, how the $12 billion bailout to the farmers, that's also socialism because of Trump's tariffs. And then I said, uh, you know, basically socialism is just giving people another piece of, and I didn't say pie, I said piece of pizza, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, my girlfriend and I had a good laugh. It's goofy. But uh, it was a funny little moment. And uh, so anyway, I think you'll laugh when you when you see that if you end up checking out those clips. There's a bunch of other uh, news, of course, as well. But we shall get to that later. It never ends. It never, never ends. And when it comes to China, I do want to really stress this whole this whole trade war. It is not going to work out. Uh, there are very few econ uh, economists. Very few people who understand this stuff, much better than I do, who believe this is a good idea. Donald Trump feuding with Apple, talking about how they should build in the U.S. It's never going to happen because Apple, again, as I mentioned briefly in the interview with Mike Baker, OLED screens, camera sensors, the multiple components that go into an iPhone are products of China. So they would have to be traded here uh, to the to the company here. And again, the, the company, Apple, uh, the majority of the uh, jobs would go to robots, a lot of automation there, and they would still end up losing a bunch of cash because you have to pay people a living wage, at least somewhat more reasonable uh, here than in China. Again, the employees make about 100 bucks a week. So this whole feud with Apple is totally crazy. And the tariffs, once again, they're just not going to work because Xi Jinping is there forever. And he can just wait Donald Trump out. So I don't, you know, it is what it is. It's very bizarre um, that he wants to do this. But we are living in bizarre times, to say the least. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully by next week's episode, we'll know who the White House leaker was. Who wrote the anonymous op-ed? 
Almarosa believes it's someone in the vice president's office. And uh, who knows? Uh, it's never good when it comes to this White House. Uh, it, it is definitely in chaos. I talked about this on Cavuto. Uh, Donald Trump said his White House was a smooth running machine. And I made a funny little joke. I said, it's about as smooth running as the train from the movie Snowpiercer. I'm on fire. I'm here all week um, because it is obviously chaotic. Anytime your vice president vows to take a lie detector test because to prove that he's not a leaker, it's not a good sign for an administration. So that's what's been going on this week, basically. But of course, we will keep you up to date and we shall be with you next week as well. Hail yourselves, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.